I asked you just now if you have a cold open. Mm. You slacked off, didn't you? You didn't say I was doing a cold <laughs> open. You said, leave it to me, Sai. I've got it. No, I've got I, an said, intro. I said, if you could come up with a cold open, that would be wonderful. You you asked me to come up with a cold open? Yes. Uh, Once well, again, like yesterday, I will scroll back through the messages no, no, and no, no, show no. you. There's, there's a whole like conversation that you and I had that you don't where remember. I didn't read. <laughs> I didn't read any of it. Oh, thank so, you very uh, fucking much. <laughs> um, cold open. Opening cold. of cold things. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary describes cold <laughs> as... Uh, well, you know what? Actually, I don't need to make something up. We can actually check that. Um, fill air for a minute. And I'll, oh, for uh, God's sake. Just, let's just roll the intro. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is going to be good. Don't worry. I, I promise you that they're more interested in that than they are in uh, what have you seen, what have I, or any other shtick that I'll come up with. Just hang on a minute. Webster's Dictionary. Webster's uh, Dictionary defines cold as uh, having or being a temperature that is uncomfortably low for humans. Um... I don't remember how we got there, but I feel blessed. Let's have an episode. What's our seat number? Hello, and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the show that asks questions, and now I'm going to blindside my co-host with a bunch of them. I'm going to ask you a series of questions asked in movies, and you have to answer the first thing that comes into your head. Answer me quickly! You have 60 seconds on the clock. This is highly irregular, I must say. Here we go, your time starts now. What do you call a blind dinosaur? Uh, Do you think you saw us? Correct. What do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? Do you think you saw us, Rex? Correct. What is a Game Boy? You know what, move. Correct. You kill somebody? No. (laughs) You kid somebody? Oh, uh, no, I dishonored my father. The correct answer is no, that is not the fourth commandment. No, that is not the fourth commandment. Of course not. Okay, do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? Okay, I will accept that. Like, I would also have accepted who lives on Drury Lane. Is he a... No, it's... Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Muffin Man. Man? The Muffin Man. Who Who lives lives on Drury Drury Lane? I did it right. You don't say I'll give you that. That's the the correct answer. Sorry, please continue. Is he a... Are you a transient? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Richie, would you eat Casper. my p- for me, please? I don't remember what the next line is. The correct answer is, I'm sure. Do you know how long the winter lasts in this country? Well, oh, I know. Do you know, if, do you know how long the winter... Tell him, Dimitri! <laughs> and your time is up. Tell him, Dimitri! Do you want... Well, it depends! Silence! <laughs> I'll give you that one. Thank you. I've started, so I'll finish. <clears throat> I'm Johnny Gross, a filmmaker and a professional torturer <laughs> of brothers, and with me, as always, is my co-host, shell-shocked after that bullshit I just pulled, it's Simon Gross. You really don't think much of my cool cumcumberisms. 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 Right. Tales of demonic possession resulting in foul-mouthed tirades, crucifix masturbation, and green vomit abound, but enough about last night, today we're watching The Exorcist. <laughs> Let's head over to the news desk. It's movie news. Movie news. A new teaser for Deadpool 3 was released on Wednesday, with the news that Hugh Jackman will return as Wolverine. Logan director James Mangold simply posted a clip of Jackman's death scene on Twitter in response. But then there was a follow-up. After I wrote this, there was a follow-up with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds that, uh, that explained that this takes place before Logan's death, yeah. obviously, and it's a separate thing. It's also Deadpool, so they're probably not going to be um, paying much attention to canon. Yes, or continuity. Screen producer Kevin Williamson teases a bright future for the iconic horror franchise, revealing his thoughts on the series' longevity. Though he admits that he was initially surprised by the continued success of the films, Williamson goes on to compare Ghostface to other famed horror baddies, indicating that the secret to Scream's longevity is that the face behind the mask is always changing. Uh, basically, what I got from this is that it could go on forever, which yeah. is unfortunate because I, I wish they would stop. Yeah, because I, it's gonna wear thin. It's I, gonna become the Halloween franchise. It's ev- it's everything that you hate about franchises. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, th- just let it die where it's. Well, it doesn't you know, have to die. It just needs to sort of end. Well, yes, that's what dying is. No, is but ending I'm, is dying. No, there's a difference because I died and I continued. You have franchises that just completely die a death because the last film was so bad that nobody went to see it. Or you could end on a high. You could end on your own terms. Mm. 
Star Trek 4 is in dire straits at the studio. It's been removed from Paramount's release calendar after losing WandaVision director Matt Shankman to Marvel's Fantastic Four reboot. I am a little bit of two minds about this because while I'd like a new Star Trek movie with the Kelvin timeline cast mm. without Anton Yelchin, it's just not complete. That's right. And um, also, I think enough, like too much time has passed. People are going to start getting long in the tooth. And, you know, it was a nice little trilogy there. Beyond was a little bit weak for me, but uh, but I, I think... The novelty really wore off the, for me on the, on the third one. Yeah, there's enough... There's enough Star Trek TV fodder going on right now. Yeah. They've recast the same roles again. There's a new Kirk. There's a new uh, Pike. There's, there's a new, new Spock. Spock. So let's just... And there's a new Uhura. So let's just move on. Yeah. The upcoming Blade reboot... Upcoming? Upcoming. The upcoming Blade reboot with Mashada Ali has lost its director as Bassam Tariq officially parts ways with the Marvel Studios film. While Blade was set to start shooting in November... The Marvel Studios project has run into a production issue. The Hollywood Reporter reveals that Tariq stepped down as the director due to continued shifts in the production schedule. While he will remain an executive producer on Blade, the search for a new director has begun. Your newsman voice is very, very impressive. Thank you. Right. No, actually, your newsman voice is a little bit more authentic. Oh, because I go down. You go down. Yeah. I do Good go morning. down. <laughs> this is the news. You know how there's always uh, the last um, news item is always something whimsical yeah. and the newsreader always goes, <laughs> that's going to be this. <laughs> and finally, in a recent interview with Empire, Colin Farrell recalls a funny donkey incident while filming the upcoming Martin McDonough movie, The Banshees of Inisherin. Throughout the film, the actor was frequently partnered with his character's pet, Jenny the Donkey. Farrell recalled a humorous moment <laughs> where he realized that Jenny did not like her nose being touched. Says Farrell, Ah, Jenny was tricky. I'm not going to do the accent. Jenny was tricky. It was her first film, but she acted like it was her 100th. She was kind of over it, kind of jaded. She didn't like her nose being touched, I found out. She kicked me in the knee, but that was my fault. I got too close to her. <laughs> what a funny, what a funny story. story. That was the news. <laughs> <laughs> Movie news. <laughs> That's a really good one. Before we get into this, uh, to the next bit where we talk about context and then go and watch the movie, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of our mates in the uh, podcast community and play their trailers for you just so that you can get a taste of, uh, of the kind of thing that they do. It's just a, a way to branch out a little bit. It's another, uh, another great podcast and we want to support them as much as we can. Branch out. Branch I out. I see what you did there. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. So the first... You'll uh, see why in a second. Yeah. Then. The first uh, podcast is called The Movie Tree. Get it? Trees, branches. Johnny's like, he thought this through. Yeah, indeed. It's uh, hosted by Luke and Duncan, aka Poncho and GPG. And they decide what movies to do by branching from episode to episode based on actor, screenwriter, director. They also do stats. They talk about songs. They have games and quizzes like we do. And uh, I don't know his co-host, but I know uh, Duncan Grant. I've been chatting to him quite a lot on Facebook. They're also very supportive of us. And I just wanted to give them a little bit of a shout out. So check it out. Here's the trailer. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Howdy, howdy, ladies and gents. My name is Poncho. And I'm JPG. And together we make two halves of the Movie Tree Podcast. And this is how we do it. Each episode we review a movie. At the end of the review, we pick a movie for the next episode. To decide which movie to do, we follow one simple rule. The next movie we pick must be connected to the previous movie, whether that's by an actor, a writer, or the director. And we call this the branching theory. So if you think you can put up with two Aussie blokes talking shit about movies... Then come and climb the movie tree with us each week as we branch out into different directions. <laughs> Johnny just comically looked at his watch <laughs> as if waiting for the trailer to pass because we both paused. Even though we don't have to, through the magic of editing, the trailer goes in. We are not actually listening to the trailer. Because the trailer doesn't actually exist yet. Duncan's going to send it to me afterwards. It's a fun podcast. Give that one a listen. The other podcast I wanted to talk about is a podcast that we've mentioned several times on the show already. Several times. Yes. It's Film Floggers with host Ben Davis. He also co-hosts with a lot of other people. There's Dan, there's Tom, there's Fiona. 
lots of different kinds of episodes. They do 15 minutes of vlog where they limit the amount of time they have to review a movie to 15 minutes with hilarious results. At the moment, they've got uh, 31 days of vlogoween. They're uh, reviewing all horror movies for the next 31 days. They have a show called Nitpickers. So lots of different kinds of content going on there. And here is their trailer. Get it in, get it on, and enjoy the vlog. Welcome to Film Vloggers. Oh, harder, Daddy. The only film review podcast, thankfully, that poses the question, does watching this film feel like flogging a dead horse? There he is, beating that dead horse! Introducing your hosts. First up, her Irish potty mouth turns the air a whole new shade of blue. It's Fiona. Say hello, Fiona. And why the f*** is Dan Macca's doing our intro? That's great. It's great. She's adorable. And your second host needs no introduction. The man, the myth, the legend. Like, I said I'd do this. I said I'd do this for you. I'm not reading this. It's the guy who waffles too much. It's Ben. Cooey! I'm making waffles. So what are you waiting for? Grab your whip, mount your dead horse, and let's get on with the flog, shall we? I was listening to their Shawshank Redemption episode and Fiona did the intro instead of Ben. And it was just so funny because I'm used to him going, you know, and and she, he was not leaving her alone for a second. He just, the whole way through is like nudging at her. Oh God, God. Oh, Oh, fuck's sake. Oh God. It's like the whole way through. Anyway, so those are our podcast recommendations. I'm sure there's going to be a jingle. Play it now. So context. You have not seen The Exorcist. No, I have not. I have seen The Exorcist many, many times. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it in England. I, I, I should have, I made a mental note for myself to, for myself to do some research about this. Yeah. Because I don't exactly remember what, uh, what went down. And then I didn't. Because the, the kids came home and that was the end of the story. But uh, the... <laughs> it was the you almost said the kids home 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 the kids home home well i guess i'm leaving that in now as well no uh, <laughs> so the kids home what are you fucking like who cares <laughs> right. cut it all cut it all cut it all they came home and uh and, and that was all she wrote uh but around the late 90s it's not uh, a classic the anecdote exorcist, is it jonathan no, the exorcist <laughs> was re-released because it had been banned for many many years and Sai, you're going to see exactly why. <laughs> There's quite a few scenes that are, would probably be considered uh, video nasty or uh, blasphemous. Mm. But uh, I saw it first time on, I think, Film 4. There was uh, they, they used to do a segment late at night with Mark Commode uh, presenting. Mark Commode did the Fear of God documentary. What an unfortunate last name. <laughs> Sorry. I just, uh, yeah, continue. Mark Commode. Yeah, so commode he, being another word for toilet. Please continue. <laughs> okay, it's not spelled that way though. Um, oh, that, well, I'm, I'm sure that that made all the difference when he was in school. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it, that all the other kids were going, yeah, commode, commode. He was going, it's not spelled like that, and they were going, oh, you know what? That's a good point. Thanks, Mark. We'll just step away and, and leave you to your lunch. Um, so <laughs> here's your here's your lunch money back. And interest. And interest. So Mark Commode is it's his favorite film. He's always talking about The Exorcist. And he did a documentary called The Fear of God. And it's been a mainstay on all of the... It was on my VHS, I believe. Uh, and the DVDs and the Blu-rays. And when the 4K comes out, it'll be there. Guess what? Um, and it's it's a really great documentary. I really recommend you check it out. It's probably on YouTube by now. So uh, so you can have a look when you uh, when you finish the movie. Very cool. Um, and there's a, there's just a huge amount of behind the scenes stuff that that went on uh, during the making of this movie. Also, the same sort of idea as Poltergeist, uh, the the reported on set curses, people dying, and uh, and people having to come to the set and do exorcisms, etc., etc., etc. The Omen also has a lot of those kinds of stories. I don't know how much of that is sort of. Sp- 
spooky coincidence mm. but uh but like it is kind of creepy just to just to listen to i mean if you remember there's a documentary inside license to kill yeah the, on thing, the, with the, the thing with the the fiery hand that comes out of the ball of fire that shit all of the, the crap stuff me, yeah. all of the stuff that went on uh in in mexico when they shot the tanker chase sequence on that road yeah. on that road the haunted road the haunted road where so many people have died because there's a very dangerous curve uh yeah it's 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 very creepy. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. And I remember also watching the the Blair Witch Project uh, fake documentary that came with the movie on the on the DVD. It's also, you know, it's also fabricated. It's also fiction, but mm. it was so well done and so very sort of realistic in the way that it was shot and the way that uh, that the interviewees spoke about it that it creeped me the fuck out. So all of those stories creep me out anyway. Uh, but in general, I remember you talking about movies that involve demonic possession kind of giving you like shivers down, they, they gave me down the your spine yeah. and haunted house movies and things like that. So those are the things that I personally gravitate to. Uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose. No, they give me the heebie-jeebies, but I gravitate towards them. Yeah, yeah. Like not, it's, no, the, not, the whole not, point of watching horror movies is to get the heebie-jeebies. That's why you watch them. It's part of like a catharsis of, of like getting out energy. I think the Conjuring movies and the Insidious movies yeah. um, were really, uh, really important for me. Because when you introduce those to me, I mean, they're not old, right? No. But like... No, 10, 13 I, years old, yeah. I was... Uh, I think I was watching them less. I was watching, um, you know, horror movies a little less. I think there was a dip and I stopped. Um, and then they sort of brought me back around to watching them a bit more. I think I had a similar experience, actually, because... James Wan kind of reaffirmed my faith in horror movies. Yeah. He he sort of came out of it's nothing it doesn't reinvent the wheel. And to be honest, when I watch a horror movie, I'm expecting to be shocked, surprised, or maybe disgusted, perhaps um creeped out. But I want uh I, I don't necessarily need for it to be sort of brand new and no, it's, innovative it's and all that kind of stuff it's how it's you. given to you yeah it's it's the way that he the way that he uses jump scares or the way that he uses those as i said last week those those little hiding bits things in the corners of detail in the corners and yeah. you know the, the that whole thing of insidious the tracking shot where rose Byrne is walking through the house and you see the little kid running yeah, around yeah, in yeah. the foreground um silently not making any noise yeah. it's just so creepy and so we- very well judged and the exorcist in the grand tradition of movies like, as I said, The Omen and The Last Exorcism and The Exorcism of Emily Rose and The Conjuring and all of those movies, even the, even the opening of uh, of Constantine has a bit of that in it with the, yeah. uh, with the you know, sort of getting the demon out of the girl. Sort of bringing it back around to The Exorcist, I remember seeing that on Channel 4 and I recorded it off TV and I watched it a, a few times. It's not a movie that, I watch it every couple of years. Mm. It's kind of like Jaws in that way. It's a masterclass. Okay. Um, in the same way that uh, that Hitchcock was a uh, an abuser and and a, and a bit of a dick <laughs> to his to his cast and crew, yeah. so William Friedkin is was also very much. He used to take a very method approach to directing his actors. The results are on the screen. I will not justify it, but he is an excellent director. And there are also things like. You know, like in the French Connection, having uh, having the stuntman or Gene Hackman or both drive the car under the bridge in Manhattan. I remember we we drove out of New York uh, to the airport, and there was just like miles and miles and miles of that bridge, never ending. Uh, and he and they they drove that car um, at, at top speeds, almost hitting pedestrians. And it it was not they didn't close down the streets. It was not uh, there were no permits or anything like that. And that's how he that's how he made most of the movie documentary style, stealing shots on the streets. The man was a was definitely is definitely a nutcase. Uh, but um, but I, I really do appreciate the craft that went into making the movie. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Uh, the the film itself is a lot more than what people talk about. Right. So it was banned for being a video nasty. 
uh, and for being blasphemous. The book is is much worse. William Peter Blatty's book, I have that. It's much worse. Really? Uh, in the same way that the book of American Psycho, Brett Easton Ellis's book of American Psycho, is much worse than anything Mary Harron put on screen. Okay, wow. Um, That's, uh, much wow. worse, much worse. And and it, in a similar, if you put it into perspective, think about the hobbling scene in Misery versus the, mm-hmm. the, the acts that uh, Annie Wilkes uses in the book. Yeah. Um, what Stephen King was writing in It is also it had to be, you know, excised from the script of the movie that they made, yeah. of both adaptations that they made because it was too graphic. Things that go on in books are generally more graphic than what, what people are able to tastefully put yeah. on the screen. There's no censorship. There's, there's no, no censorship, but it's there's also... There's no limit to what you can do with your imagination versus right. what you can put on screen and realistically have an audience buy right. and not be fully grossed out with. Yeah. Your brain's doing the work. Right, exactly. The movie itself is a lot more drama, crises of faith. There are hints of molestation as well. And various uh, um, things... You're really selling this to me, Johnny. It's a very potent drama as well as being a horror movie. Is it going to really, really affect me? Because I'm we could have sure. watched something like The Frighteners, yeah? I'm not sure. As I said, when I was well, a kid... the Adams family. When I was a kid and I watched this, I found it comedic. Mainly because right. the demonic possession scenes, when you're 14 or 15... You know, it's the kind of thing that you uh, that you laugh at because you're immature. Yeah. But you look at the stuff that goes on around it, and it's what is it a two and a two and a bit hour film? And I would say that the demonic possession stuff makes up around twenty percent of it. So there's there's a lot of like really meaty drama in there that I that I really like. So that's what I mean when I say it's not necessarily what you would imagine that it is. Um, there's a lot more to it than just. The power of Christ compels you, you yeah. know? It's more than just that. Um, anyway, I waffled on enough about the movie. Let's go and watch it. What about my context? You don't have any. You haven't seen it. But I told you yesterday on WhatsApp that I also have something for context. Oh, you have something for context? I sent oh, you please, a me- please, no, I no, no. sent you a message. I, I didn't see it. I'm oh, sorry. I completely well, now ignored who's not your reading messages. messages. Yes, I completely ignored your message after you ignored mine. I'm just wondering. <laughs> no, you didn't know I'd ignored yours, so you just ignored mine. So I knew that I, when, when, when I went to get the kids and I met you... You told me that you ignored. I know, my message. but I think I sent you this message before I met you when you went to go and pick up the kids. So Stop you just ignored me. Bickering. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is very small. It's just. Um, oh, it's uh, all right. I, w- I wouldn't uh, put yourself down like that. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Resting his head on the pop filter. You're gonna have to adjust it again now. Fuck me. Uh, uh, oh, you know, just roll the fucking. No, movie. no, go on. <laughs> tell me. Tell me your context. Go ahead. Um, it's the you had it on VHS. I did indeed. Um, and then you got it on DVD. And I, I, I remember always being scared of the cover of it. Um, the the guy in the trench coat and the hat looking up at the house. Max von Sydow playing yeah. Father Marin. Um, like that. That always creeped me out a lot. Um, it's a and, very very uh, iconic image. Yes. And you um, told me that it's really really scary and that I shouldn't watch it. Because as we've established in previous episodes, um, you know, you, when I was younger, you were in charge of the sort of monitoring of what, what was... The censorship, me. as it were, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and you told me, under no circumstances do I watch this movie. Um, I wanted to protect you. I understand. I did that a little bit and as I well. got No, but I, <laughs> it got to the point where I just never watched it. Yeah. Um, and I never sort of went, I really want to watch this movie because you'd made it sound so bad. It's, it's like not, as in not a bad movie, as in you, you made it scary. What? How old made were it you? Scary. VHS time. It was also DVD time. It was uh, also while we were here, like when I was a teenager. You weren't you weren't telling me what I should and shouldn't watch, but you were suggesting to me like that so you, you... this sort of thing would would really make me because I. I was very affected by haunted house movies. In your mid-teens, you were very sensitive to that kind of thing. And yeah, because I still have nightmares today, but now they're weird things like, you know, oh, I'm living in a building in New York and we're looking out at this lovely view and me and Shosha here, but she's annoyed with me for something and she won't tell me what it is. And, you know, I don't remember having moved to New York and all my stuff is still here in this country. And, you know, I, I sort of you know, ask Shosh what's wrong, but she's disappeared. She's gone. I can hear her in the other room because she's moving around, but I don't see her and I don't know where the entrance is to the other room. And then there's like, you know, okay, but who did pay the rent for this very high rise apartment? And is it really New York or is it just like Gotham city? Right. You know, like that, that's the weird kind of nightmares I'm having. Oh my God. Lots to unpack there. Roll it. Roll it. (laughs) 
Is you? Well, uh, oh, I, uh, I want to hear your thoughts because this mm. is your first time seeing the movie. That was an experience. It it felt very um, very much like something I needed to see because there's a lot of influences that it has on. Yeah, you've seen the legacy you know, the, seen that it's of, produced, but yeah, you haven't seen it exactly. It's the same thing with with Poltergeist last week as when you see things that have been inspired by that or or spoofs or whatever so suddenly things start coming around um i don't know that i'd call it the scariest film of all time as is I, the no, that's tagline a, that's a promotional thing it's definitely not the scariest film of all time probably even not at that time but uh but that that's not what i it's mean the for. money that had to go into substantiating that claim boggles the mind yeah, look, I mean, it was. It's definitely shocking um, in certain places, but I think that um, I think that in general, it wasn't made to be a horror movie per se. You can see what he was trying to do. The final act is all exorcism. Yeah, but everything. A lot of what's leading up to that. It's a good like eighty percent of the movie is just drama. Yeah, there's. It, it takes a long time to get to priests getting involved. There's a lot of uh, very abrupt... I feel that it kind of suffers for that because, you know, it's it's a very abrupt uh, ending to all things. It's also very... I'm not sure. I don't remember, but I think maybe the director's cut gives a little bit more breathing room. It's another 10 minutes, so mm. I don't know how much more it can really do that. But I opted for us to watch the theatrical cut uh, before before like if you wanted to watch it again maybe watch the director's cut but i i wanted for this for, for you to see the theatrical cut and see the original intent well much like black phone i'm not sure that this is the sort of thing that i'd rewatch. okay like if it's something that. that i'll rewatch. i thought that the uh the whole final act was a lot of um abrupt things happening uh which i guess makes sense because the things that were happening are abrupt in themselves like death Right, right. Um, but I felt that the word "abrupt" is um, is an apt description of of a lot of things in that film. Uh, it abruptly cuts to like very violently, violently cuts to different um, you know shots and scenes and loud noises of a, a crowded pub. You know, yeah. It's it's just very um, aggressively cut. Yeah, it it alternates between these long drawn out scenes. And this almost sort of staccato quality that uh, that he cuts in the middle of a conversation sometimes. Not in the middle of a sentence, but in the middle of a conversation that just... He gives you just enough information that you need without hanging around too much. The longest conversations are, are with uh, with the detective, with Kinderman. Yeah. It's definitely a, it's definitely a slower burn than... Than poltergeist yeah like it's it, it is slower i thought that the pacing was uh, was actually really good because um, i was thinking to myself okay how much of a film can actually be about an exorcist or about an exorcism i mean like for the first half he's almost sort of amassing images and like sort of drip feeding you certain things that when you see the finale the the demon is using all of that stuff against uh, mm-hmm. against Karis and against Chris McNeil against her mother there's very little backstory to father merrin yeah you have that sort of extended opening sequence in uh, in Iraq that gives you it, it gives you a, the, there's uh, there's atmosphere there that it uh, sort of immerses you in the uh, yes but it doesn't give you much else it just shows you Father Merrin going about an archaeological dig. It shows him discovering the statue of uh, of Pazuzu. That's the name of the uh, of the demon. How'd you know that? Did I miss that? Uh, in the book, I believe, or maybe in the sequel. It's just something that I know. But okay. um, there is a, a meaning to the to the to the opening sequence. This it's scene setting. I thought it was just setting up that he is incredibly old. Yes, he's <laughs> very old. We talked about that actually during the during watching watching the opening there that uh, that you asked me has Max von Sydow always been no ancient? obviously I wasn't. I said like Max von Sydow in this movie looks like Max von Sydow in uh, in like movies from more recent years, like, right uh, before his passing, right. For, and you asked me why they cast Max von Sydow, why they didn't just cast somebody older, yeah. And I think the reasoning is the same reason why they cast Marlon Brando in The Godfather. He, in 1972, he wasn't 
that old. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar kind of situation. They kind of aged him. Just finding a really, him, really good actor. Of yeah, that they gave him jowls there. and stuff like that. And and but he's able to act through the makeup and and create a feeling of years gone by, of sort of like a. Not a wizened quality exactly, but uh, but he's able to carry himself like Max von Sydow walking in this movie. You 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 feel like it's an old man walking. You feel like it's Max von Sydow from Minority Report, right? Um, instead of Max von Sydow from The Seventh Seal. And I said to you during that that, uh, that that's what they missed in The Irishman when they tried to de-age all of those actors. Um, is that they were not able to carry themselves like younger men. Yeah. They de-aged them with uh, with CGI, but... Um, they still hobbled along like th- they yeah. uh, needed to uh, exactly. clear out that old prostate. Uh, and, and also, we talked about, uh, briefly, no. we talked about... Max- no, we're just going to slide what? on past the prostate. <laughs> just slide through the prostate. Oh, are we talking about things uh, sliding down with uh, with little resistance with again? With ease. With ease. <laughs> past the prostate. <laughs> Why? Why'd you got to take it there? Why'd you got to take it there? I didn't take it anywhere. I said they're wobbling around like old men who need to clear out the prostate, and you right. just carried on talking. So I assume that you were either in a very blasé well, I, manner, continuing just past what I said, or yeah. No, but you're I, the I, one who took it to the to the. To I, the I was in, I was in the middle of a thought. I apologize. How rude. Please continue your thought. How rude. Uh, no, so we were talking a, a little bit about Back to the Future, and the the opposite is true. Not to say that, that Leah Thompson and Crispin Glover and Michael J. Fox and, uh, and obviously uh, Thomas Wilson, they're not they're not bad actors in any way shape or form but it's uh they they did it for more of a comedic effect as opposed yeah. to as, as opposed to realism and you can see that the max von Sydow playing father Merrin is trying to uh really give that that feeling of age he's yeah. uh you know so anyway that's uh I, I think that that is the reason for it just trying to get the best actor possible i've written here why is he wearing a cardi in 30 degree heat yep yep um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and no I want complaints wanted... here, no arguments, yeah. Owen Roisman, um, the cinematographer, just shout out there because uh, this is a beautiful movie, uh, wonderfully shot. I was actually a bit complacent with my notes on this one because I was very sucked in. Not so complacent. I, on... I wouldn't call that complacent. You said that you were that you were invested. And that you yeah, I was to unable to. I, I felt disturbed every time I wanted to make a note because I was missing things that was going on on the screen. However, I do yes. have one note. Yes, please. That I that I snarkily managed to get in there. <laughs> so snarkily. I will read it off now. Go ahead and snark. Would the medical bills not be cleaning her out for all of the times that she goes to doctors in this movie? But you can see that uh, the from she's the, quite rich. That she's quite rich. That she's an actress. She's a Hollywood actress, and uh, and she's got a beautiful house in the middle of Georgetown, which cannot be a cheap place to live. Right, yeah. Um, I've actually been there. I showed you during the movie. We got I got pictures of it, um, of the steps and the plaque that uh, that is put up by the steps. The window that it, that they fall out of mm. is um, is is not actually there. Where the steps are in relation to the house, it would not be possible to fall out of the window and down the steps. So they had to build that in order to make that happen. Um, but it's it's really really it's a really beautiful town and uh, and I got a really nerdy kick out of walking up and down those steps. Sure you did. Yes. Surprised um, you didn't go. Well, I'll just throw myself down these just for the, for the fan <laughs> fan serviceness of it. Actually, my wife went off um, to do something else and left me to it basically. <laughs> Was like, yeah, you just creepily walk up and down these stairs where yeah, people yeah, died no, in a film. I, I think she, I think she waited uh, around the corner or something, but like she let me go up and. What you think it was creep? She, she was creeped out by it or something? No, she doesn't. Know, she's never seen The Exorcist. She doesn't. Oh, she know doesn't care. About okay, it. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't care. Makes sense. I made a note about tubular bells. Uh, that's going to come back... Uh, tubular bells. Tubular, yeah. Oh, I see. Tubular, be- tubular bells. Tubu- oh, oh, I see. You said tubular bells. I tubular. And not Why didn't you say Tubular. That? Tubular. Tubular. Yeah, I was sitting on the tube. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because that, that is a pre-existing uh, track. Mm. It, it wasn't written for the movie. Um, and there's some trivia corner there that it I'll get to. It sounds a little bit like the Halloween uh, theme, actually. Or rather, the Halloween theme sounds a little bit like that. That's a good point, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it came off. Yeah, yeah, okay. I wanted to talk to you about the uh, operation scene because okay. that... Um, that we talked about a little bit in the pre-bit. What did you think? Because that that apparently is the scene that uh, that had people I think? vomiting in the aisles what and, and fainting think? and stuff. Um, and and when I watched it, 
you know, it's it's not one of the more horrific scenes in the movie, but it did make my anus clench. I, wa- I watched you uh, clenching a little bit over there. You looked uncomfortable. I've seen it so many times, but every single time it does that to me. It's just, it makes my skin crawl mainly because it looks so So I'll real. tell you, I'll tell you what it was. It was, I think that if you hadn't said anything before we watched the movie and also as the scene was happening... It would have affected me more. But because you said that people fainted and that they were or they were disgusted and, and all yeah. of that, I was expecting a lot more than what actually happened. Now, a lot happens there. It's just uh I yeah. was, uh, for some reason I was I was like, Oh god, are they gonna cut into our skull and we're gonna see brains pouring <laughs> out the side? Yes, nothing so grandiose or grand guignol. I mean, I'm just wondering why people were fainting. It's very possible that people weren't used to th- seeing things like that in the seventies. To thing. To think things like that in the seventies, perhaps that was smashing it today, aren't you? Smashing it, absolutely smashing it. But when the first uh, demonic manifestation happens, uh, the movies kind of lulled you into a sense of security. You know, it's it's very slow. It's it takes its time. It's very leisurely, and it's also very documentary esque. You know, it kind of there's a lot of like. Um, as, as you say, like sort of staccato cutting and yes. uh, handheld cameras and lots of zoom lens action. Yeah. I feel like because of the way that the movie's paced, when, when she first says, fuck me um, yeah. in that scene and, and uh, Chris's reaction to it is, is what, because now I'm looking at it as a parent. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is a theme that's going to crop up several times, uh, you know, when we rediscover movies that involve children being abused yeah. uh, either by demonic forces or otherwise because as a parent I'm experiencing these things uh, in a different way I don't think I've seen The Exorcist since uh, since my f- my first child was born So you lied to the audience there at the beginning when you said you watch it every couple of years because your eldest is now how old? Four Four, yeah Oh well What well, a liar you couple, are Couple, few, whatever How will they ever trust you again? <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> So yeah, it's it's the parents. I'm really being difficult today, and I don't really know why. I don't know I why. I don't know why. I really, I, I don't know why. <sighs> yeah, it's like blink teeth. So the uh, so it's the scene where Reagan's being um, being sort of tossed yeah. around the bed. The scene apparently ruined Linda Blair's back because uh, because mm. she was being yanked very very hard. Was it with wires? Yeah, yeah, with a practical effects guy pulling the uh, pulling the wire. It's kind of shocking because you you she's established as this really sweet little girl, and the yeah. the relationship between uh, between Chris and Reagan is very sweet and very uh, very sort of well established by this point in the movie. Um, you you get uh, sort of little hints of the father sort of neglecting her not on her birthday around. not being around uh post-divorce etc etc and then you know this language coming out of this little girl's mouth and uh, ellen burstyn's acting the way that she reacts to that is uh is it affected me this time quite a lot yeah she she really plays uh, the haggard look very well yeah i i think i think she gives a great performance in this movie all of this stuff like if you haven't seen the movie before like it, it's quite shocking yeah uh, that it suddenly happens like that yeah um because of the pacing because of what's happened before and the way that the way that it's established Having not seen the movie before, I would agree that that is a fair assessment. There are a lot of things in the movie that were very shocking to me. Not just the content, but how they just suddenly ramp up to 100. Yeah. Especially the crucifix scene, which I've heard about and it's been talked about and spoofed. Yeah, I heard you go. I went, oh, "Oh Jesus. (laughs) Still to this day, that's pretty shocking. Whether or not you believe, whether or not you're Catholic or or you're Jewish or what, or, you know... Yes, those are the only two religions in the world, Jonathan. Oh, what is the matter with me today? Oh, just a papa spank. Right, okay, keep those going. Those are the two religions that are accessible to me at this moment in time, <laughs> in your seeing brain. as that we've just watched a movie populated by no, Catholics, no, no, you're, you're and good. we are Jewish. Trust me, the audience is behind you on this one. I'm the one who's coming out like a colossal tootsie so yeah, it, it's it's a pretty shocking scene, basically. <laughs> Wanker. Twisty <laughs> frozy. Um, yeah, I like the relationship between Karis and Kinderman. I wish that that was uh, that was established a little bit more. Yeah, there's that one scene that they have together where he calls him Father Paranoia, and there's like a sort of um, there's a, there's a nice little rapport between the two of them. What did you think of the uh, lack of score? There's like a few tones here and there yeah. and tubular bells, but most of the uh, tubular, most of, yeah. Um, you think that uh, you think that you know what with nowadays and, and also with with movies that came out around the same time like Jaws that music plays a really really big part in horror 
So in this movie, there's in, during the the demonic uh, manifestation, the uh, the exorcism scenes, all that stuff. There's no music whatsoever. Nothing to give you like that sort of. Dun, dun, yeah, because scare. they just allow the the situation performances yeah. and the situation to feel like they're happening. Like I, I, I think that sometimes music can be a real. Um, grounding for you it can put you in the scene yeah and in some in some cases you just want to play into the silence and i think that those moments of quiet are very sort of loud you know like when they're sitting on the stairs after everything sort of calmed down he says let's have a rest before we start again yeah um i think that that silence when they're sitting on the stairs is uh is very very contrasted to the noise of the exorcism but again no music i actually didn't pick up on that yeah yeah i didn't pick up on the music uh not being there because i'm just used to that score that that tubular bells thing speaking of realism and grounding we don't see father merrin's death it happens off screen and i was in two minds about that i was sort of okay that's a bit of a cop out Right, well, the, but the on thing the other is that hand, you don't really know Father Marin. That's that's what yeah. interested me watching it this time around because I, I never remember. Because he's that. the exorcist. Yeah, I never remember that. You you don't get any backstory on him whatsoever, and it's interesting because he also says when he when he first gets to the house, like Father Karras wants to give him uh, background, backstory, and he says, and he no. says, "Why? I don't want it. I don't need it. Let's just do this." Um, and that's uh, maybe that that sort of speaks to the, sa- the the other side of it that we don't need to know anything about Father Marin. Just the fact that he's. He believes in it That's so much that really he's coming. That's a really interesting point, though, Johnny. Like you're saying, like it, it's his reaction to. Don't you want to hear backstory about this person? And he's right. like, no. Is what is the director telling the audience you shouldn't care either? Like about his backstory. That's a really all you need to know about observation. Him, all you need to know about him is that he's, he's the, the kind exorcist. of man. He has so much faith that he would come and give of his time and his energy and ultimately of his life in order to save this little girl. Uh, and he knows nothing about her, and he doesn't want to know anything about her. He, he's it may, perhaps he, there's even a shade of Quint or Captain Ahab about him that he's chasing this demon, and he could have been chasing this demon for many years. That's really interesting. I read something completely different into that. In the okay. you know, he didn't want to have any kind of weakness or attachment by hearing the personal right. backstory. He didn't want to feel anything about it because that would uh, sort of impede his his yeah, work make you know, vulnerable, would make which him is vulnerable which is exactly what happens to and he didn't uh, want to, to give yeah exactly he didn't want to give ammunition to the demon right. that's what i thought of it but it's really interesting the way that you've presented it to me now so you, you, you get a sense that he's devoted his life to uh to that study the, the yeah. study of uh of sort like of, what's of he doing in, in iraq with yeah. the archaeological dig as he's probably yeah. studying or searching for artifacts Right. Relating to, what is it, Pazazu? Pazuzi? Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Buck, uh, because I mentioned before uh, before we watched the movie about sort of allusions to uh, molestation. And and I said something about the, the book uh, containing more information about that. Apparently, I, I did a little bit of a search here. I don't remember the book because I haven't read it in many, many years. Uh, but I, I did buy it in a secondhand store recently, so I might give it another read. Um, but the, apparently there's nothing more about that. It's more about Reagan's fear of Burke replacing her father, that he's a possible suitor. And in the movie, he's not really presented as no, a possible suitor. And uh, Reagan says to, to Chris, you know, what, what about uh, what about Burke? I heard that he really likes you and whatever. And Chris is like, Burke's just a friend. And there's mm-hmm. uh, there's no way that, uh, that, that there's anything more than that. You think um, that it was the demon getting Burke out of the picture? I'm not sure. Um, that what I read also um, before coming here was that the demon wasn't after Reagan at all. The demon used Reagan to get to Father Karras. Because of the amount of torment and sort of anguish that Karras is going through with his mother and, uh, and the fact that she died and he wasn't there and whatever else he's gone through in his life before we meet him in the movie, uh, alcoholism, etc. So you think that the demon was drawn to him? The demon was drawn to him. He actually says, um, you know, I, I, it's an excellent day for an exorcism. It'll bring us closer together. And he said, what, you and Reagan? He says, no, you and us. Um, so... Actually, by the way, that that line is what I say every time I get a cold. 
and mm. my throat my throat gets scratchy that's every every time i go what an excellent day for an exorcism like that <laughs> what an excellent day for an exorcism lovely <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, you're um, horrible. I'm, I'm not horrible. I'm just misguided. Um, anyway, so so yeah, there's definitely a uh, an interpretation that the that the demon was always after Father Karras. Yeah. But anyway, the Burke thing. There's no signposting or foreshadowing of any kind of molestation. Yeah. And then you hear it, all of that, all of Burke's death, all of that happens off screen. Yeah. And you hear that Burke was up in Reagan's room and she was left with him by herself. And the question is, what was he doing up in her room? What was he doing up in her room? And and th- and then, you know, you obviously find out that she twisted his neck and threw him out the window. Uh, or rather, Pazuzu twisted his neck and threw him out the window. And Kinderman is investigating Burke's death. That's why he comes into the picture. Yeah. I read something... Uh, um, online while we were watching the movie that uh, people have said why does this keep coming up there is absolutely no evidence to support the idea that Burke molested Reagan but it, it does beg the question why was he up in her room I mean it's just in his behavior that he's very greasy and oily and you know that he's drunk. very sort of drunk and then yeah. and then you know in the crucifix scene her head twists around and you hear Burke's voice coming out of Reagan's yeah. mouth say you know what she did <laughs> It might be that he's saying she killed me or she killed Burke rather because it's not Burke speaking, it's the demon. Uh, But it could also be, um, you know, all of that that kind of heightened uh, sexuality that she's suddenly suddenly manifesting, the whole lick me, lick me thing, let Jesus... None of that happened before um, Burke's death. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I I would say, listener, read into that what you will. Yeah. But uh, but I'm just putting it out there as a uh, as a possibility, and it's rather uncomfortable. So let's move on. The whole thing's uncomfortable. Yeah. And in that same scene, Reagan slaps Chris, and Ellen Burstyn was pulled back on a cable, and uh, you see that she like clutches her back and not her face. And then she hurts herself. Oh yeah. I will get into uh, to Trivia Corner. I'll explain what happened there a little bit later. Everything comes to a very uh, sudden end uh, in that he, he says to the demon, take me, take me. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that was an option, really. Um, but also, so so he's jumped out the window. That hasn't killed the demon. Has no, it but moved demon- on to Father the de- Dyer then? No. No, no, I'm not sure. I think the, the being that the demon was probably after Father Karras, um, that that was it. Like Father Karras not being alive kind of defeats the purpose. Defeats the purpose. Um, but I don't know what the uh, what sort of if you think about it in terms of what awaits him in the afterlife after having committed suicide, no matter how noble it is, mm. in terms of his faith, in terms of the the sort of the. Well, you reckon that this demon dragged him down to hell and was torturing him afterwards. It's very possible. But anyway, there's a couple of little moments in the finale that I really enjoyed uh, this time around. Like, I noticed that um, Karis gets very angry with the demon when uh, when it manifests itself as his mother. Yeah. And he says, you're not my mother. And then uh, and then Father Merrin uh, kicks him out Leave. of the room. Get out. Get out and go and get the precogs. The clack of little spiders. Little spider feet. <laughs> little spider feet. That's not what he says. <laughs> Do you know what I hear? Nothing. No footsteps up the stairs. No hovercraft out the window and no clickety-click of little spiders. Do you know why I can't hear any of those things, Danny? Because right now, the precogs can't see a thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we like to have fun on what's our I scene just number. like Maxwell Sidow. He's got a funny <laughs> He's voice. Great. I'm bored. Tell me what playthings I have today. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Um, so then Father Karras is, uh, is downstairs, um, at the bottom of the stairs, sitting on a, on a chair and, uh, Chris comes to him and says, is she going to die? And the way that Karras looks up at her with this sort of realization of, no. he says no. And it's, it's almost as if he, he's just suddenly remembered that there's a little girl in there and it's not all about the demon and he knows what he has to do. Yeah. But also that it's not all about him. Right. And then, sort of skipping forward, um, I wanted to talk about the stairs stunt. They padded the stairs, but an actual stuntman threw himself down the stairs about two or three times. Still alive? Still alive. Still whole, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> ah, no, I, I don't know if he's still alive. He no, survived the fall. That, yeah. yeah, I meant after that. But the, um, but the fact is, that was a real stunt, and that looks brutal. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. 
And uh, and then uh, right at the very very end, Reagan kissing Father Dyer after seeing his collar. I thought that was a really beautiful moment. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to take you to Trivia Corner now. Lovely. Trivia. Where are you? What are you doing? Not doing it today. Why not? I'm on my break. Break's over. Right. Trivia. Trivia. Corner. I've written at the top here. Why do all these films involve abuse? Meaning the director abusing yeah. the. Uh, the okay, actors. go on. Um, Everybody strap in. Everybody strap, or strap in. on. Okay. The scene where Reagan projectile vomits at Father Karras only required one take. The vomit was intended to hit Jason Miller in the chest, but the plastic tubing misfired, hitting him in the face. His reaction of shock and disgust while wiping away the vomit is genuine, and Miller admitted in an interview that he was very angered by this mistake. I mean, mistakes happen. Calm yourself. They do. But this is not what I'm talking about. We'll get to the abuse a little bit later on. In an interview... Ah, here we go. In an interview, (laughs) Jason Jason Miller stated that he had a major verbal confrontation with William Friedkin after the director fired a gun near his ear to get an authentic reaction from him. He told Friedkin that he is an actor and that he didn't need a gun to act surprised or startled. Due to death threats against Linda Blair from religious zealots who believe the film glorified Satan... Wow, that's... Gross misunderstanding. It's a rather loose interpretation yeah. of the plot of the film. Yeah. Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. Now, this is also something that, I, that I, I've talked about when sort of kind of defending Mel Gibson. And I, I've done that several times over the years because, um, first of all, the guy's done his penance. But also because the, the hubbub surrounding The Passion of the Christ back in 2006 um, was that a lot of uh, religious groups, and I'm talking Jewish religious groups here, had uh, had not seen the film and condemned it as a work of anti-Semitism. And, uh, and I think by that point, there's no excusing what he did, but the, um, but the, the reason for his sort of uh, anti-Semitic tirade was probably because he was getting a lot of shit for a, a very long time. You've seen time. Passion of the Christ, haven't you? Bits and pieces. As a Jew, do you feel it was anti-Semitic? I don't think so. I'm not you, sure that that was the. Did you feel insulted by it? No, I don't think that that was the that was the the main sort of end game. Hmm. I think Gibson was trying to promote something else. But the I uh, think he was trying to promote his very strong passion and belief in in this in thing Christianity. that he believes in. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so what I'm saying is that while he is not necessarily the nicest human being, and I wouldn't want to go out and have a drink with him, I think it's time to forgive the poor guy, uh, because he's been through enough. But or just move my on. Point. You know? My point is that when people pick it about movies that they have not yet seen, mm-hmm. it. It is. Uh, it's, it's dangerous. Just, it's dangerous it's to do dangerous. that. It's the height of misinformation and being yeah. uninformed. And nowadays, it's even worse because we've got Twitter and Facebook yeah. and Instagram and whatever else in order for anybody and everyone to sort of get their opinion out there, and it can sway public opinion very, very easily. Um, and uh, and I, I just think that that perhaps people should, you know, see the evidence before they uh, before they start condemning something. And in this particular case, you know, sort of death threats to a 12 year old girl first of all whoa but also but also the fact that nobody had seen the film by this point so you know aside from obviously reading the book but uh but you know they don't know what stance friedkin took in uh, in terms of in terms of putting the film on the screen in terms of adapting the book yeah also so, i just i we've talked about this before i just yeah. don't understand the the big emotional or or no, there isn't anything else. It's an emotional reaction yeah. to to movies in general. Movies, video games, music. Um, you know, if a song or a movie or a game makes you feel like you need to kill another person, in the words of Adam Ferrara, just sit down until that feeling goes away. Right. Right? Like, it's not... <laughs> wow, that's a blast from the past is, right now. Yeah. But it's like, don't you think that's really stupid? Like, how is the perspective gone on that sort of thing. Even in the 70s, like, it's a 12-year-old girl and this is a movie and it's based on a book which is fiction and the movie is fiction and why are you getting so upset about it? I just never understood the... Yeah. Because I've watched movies where I've been uncomfortable or something. You know what you do? You just turn it off. You walk away. Yeah, yeah. Or you don't watch it again. It's your choice. Did I I tell the story about about Munich? No. Our parents' friends came from LA um, and they... We had a, a big debate mm-hmm. over the dinner table about Munich and I had seen Munich by this point and uh, and basically the argument was 
that um, they were sort of humanizing the terrorists that perpetrated the 1972 massacre. Um, And casting doubt in the minds of the Mossad agents about having to execute these terrorists. Mm -hmm. Um, And my argument was, well, you know, Spielberg is trying to show the human side of the, uh, of this, this whole story. He's trying to show that anybody that would have to go out and murder somebody would possibly have a conflict about it, uh, you know, sort of be conflicted. You to, would you would assume you know, maybe most, wake up screaming at night. Have most nightmares. terrorists have families, right? And they exactly. come from somewhere. Like we we tend to vilify these people as you know just being they exist in a vacuum right. on their own and to to create evil deeds. And yeah, they are evil and they do evil things. But there are shitty people in the world right. who do shitty things, but they're still people. I think that the basically what they wanted was to see a movie that was very much black and white. Perhaps uh, they wanted they. They wanted they the wanted, champions of Israel to right, be. They wanted the Maccabees. Exactly. Yeah, they wanted they wanted sort of like Jewish uh, wish fulfillment, which is basically what, what Inglorious uh, Bastards Inglourious is. I knew Bastard you were going to say that. Look be, at yeah. your face. Look yeah. at you all happy. Um, so, sorry, uh, I jumped in there to stop you from saying it, so I could say it right. first. I'm so, sorry about that. So Would you then, like to go back and do that? No, that's fine. So we were so we're at the dinner table and we we're arguing about this, and this has gone on for a while. And my parents have gone very quiet, and uh, and this lady's husband has gone very quiet. He's just kind of sitting there, and we're just like arguing back and forth very heatedly about this and at one point i just something something clicked in my brain i had a little light bulb above my head and i said to her have you seen the movie and she said no but i've read about it and i was like oh for fuck's sake then you, why are we talking about this exactly exactly you can't have a conversation about something if you don't know anything about it like where is that coming from so yeah in in general i that's just want to by like, the way that's a lot of arguments that i have with people about yeah, movies yeah um, and, and and now i know as an adult that that's the first thing you should ask have you seen it first yeah. of all have you seen the movie Oh no! Okay, so come go and see the movie. Come and back and we'll, we'll, talk about we'll debate. It. We can it. continue this argument, but you have to come from a place exactly. of you know basing it on an opinion that is informed. A place of knowledge. Yeah. Um, okay. On the day of filming the exorcism. The, oh, that's right. We're in trivia corner. Yeah. On the day of filming the exorcism sequence, Linda Blair's delivery of her foul-mouthed dialogue so disturbed the gentlemanly Max von Sydow that he actually forgot his lines. The bedroom set had to be refrigerated to capture the authentic icy breath of the actors in the exercise scenes. That's really cool. Linda Blair, who was only in a flimsy nightgown, says to this day she cannot stand being cold. Mm. When originally released in the UK, a number of town councils imposed a complete ban on the showing of the film. This led to the bizarre spectacle of exorcist bus trips, where enterprising travel companies organized buses to take groups to the nearest town where the film was showing. According to William Friedkin, the subliminal shots of the white-faced demon are actually rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. That's interesting. I really like that shot of Linda Blair where she's looking at him and you see the face sort of superimposed on the other side of her face. That's a really good shot. Yeah. Actress Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the voice of the demon, insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain smoking to alter her vocalizations. The actress, who had had problems with alcohol abuse in the past, furthermore wanted to drink whiskey as she knew alcohol would distort her voice even more and create the crazed state of mind of the character. Fuck me. Jeez. As she I think g- she just needed, she wanted an excuse to drink and yeah. smoke and... Eat raw eggs. Yeah, and her agent <laughs> slapped the exorcist on her desk and she went, This is the moment you've been waiting for, love. This is perfect. Um, as she was giving up sobriety, she insisted that her priest be present to counsel her during the recording process. At William Friedkin's direction, McCambridge was also bound to a chair with pieces of a torn sheet at her neck, arms, wrists, and legs, and feet to get a more realistic sound of the demon struggling against its restraints. McCambridge later recalled the experience as one of horrific rage, while Friedkin admitted that her performance, as well as the extremes which the actress put herself through to gain authenticity, terrifies the director to this day. This was probably the reason why Friedkin declined to call back McCambridge to provide the demon's voice for the film's TV version, instead deciding to do the voice himself. (sighs) It's like the last couple of episodes, the uh, trivia corner has been just as harrowing as the movie experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. quite... Um, can we, you know, yes, I was I was re-listening to the um, to the Poltergeist episode, and, you, yeah. and I went like, keep it light, keep it light! You know, because <laughs> you're talking about people dying and stuff, yeah. and you just, like, ignored me. You're like, no. Leathery rectum. Leathery rectum. Yeah. Um, the, the studio wanted Marlon Brando for the role of Father, Father Merrin, William Friedkin immediately vetoed this by stating that with Brando in the film, it would become a Brando movie instead of the important film he wanted to make. Yeah. 
Upon its initial theatrical release, the film affected many audiences so strongly that at many theatres, paramedics were called to treat people who fainted and For others who went sake. into hysterics. Are we just in a more cynical time? Have we seen more things? Is that it? I don't know. Maybe. Like, why am I not more upset about this? Like, I don't it just know. It's, it's, didn't affect me. Yeah, okay. Though often cited as one of the most shocking scenes in cinema, the crucifix masturbation scene was greatly toned down from that of the novel. In the source book, the scene is much longer, gory, and sexually explicit, with Reagan suffering a broken nose, butchery of her genitals, and orgasming. Whoa. Whoa. Before starting the exorcism, Father no, Marin... thank you. No, thank you. Before starting the exorcism, Father Marin asked Chris whether her daughter has a middle name. In the Middle Ages, Catholics used to give their children several names as they believed it would hinder Satan from finding out the child's real name and controlling one's soul. Mm. Director William Friedkin eventually asked technical advisor Thomas Birmingham to exorcise the set. He refused, saying an exorcism might increase anxiety. Reverend Birmingham wound up visiting the set and gave a blessing and talk to reassure the cast and crew. During a 1984 reunion of the cast of The Exorcist on Good Morning America, Ellen Burstyn told a story that when she was in Tucson, Arizona, filming Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and The Exorcist was opening in that city while she was there, she went to see it. She stated that the scene where Reagan has her arteriogram was the part where most people fainted. After that scene, she saw a woman wobbling up the aisle, so Ms. Burstyn followed her. When the woman finally fainted, Ms. Burstyn was at her aid, loosening her collar and talking to her. Then the woman began to come to, and Ms. Burstyn realized that if this woman opened her eyes and saw her, this might cause the woman to panic. (laughs) Ms. Burstyn's exact words were that she might think she was in the twilight zone or something. So Ms. Burstyn asked assistance from another person to help the woman recover. Clever thinking on her part. Indeed. Yeah. In the documentary... In my brain, I'm thinking to myself, like, would I have thought of that or would I have thought of that and then done it anyway just to see (laughs) if it happened? In the documentary included on the 25th anniversary edition, the actors revealed that in many shots it was not necessary to act as what was captured on film were genuine reactions. For example... Ellen Burstyn mentions that her scream and facial reaction after being slapped by Reagan were due to being pulled too hard by a harness. Mm. Linda Blair's screaming was a reaction to being bounced around on her bed. William O'Malley, here we go. William O'Malley, is the, uh, the, he's a real-life priest, not an actor. Mm-hmm. He played Father Dyer. Okay. And he recalled that William Friedkin slapped him prior to shooting uh, the uh, the last rites scene. You see that he's standing over Father Karras and he says to him, "Do you, um, yeah. you know, do you repent?" And then he gives him the cross and his hands shaking because he got slapped around because he got slapped by the by uh, William Friedkin just before uh, shooting, and this caused his hand to tremble while blessing Father Karras because he wasn't giving the performance that Friedkin wanted. Fucking asshole. He is a fucking asshole. But every time I watch that scene, it looks authentic that he's like mm. truly cut up and, and he wasn't an actor. So there is a, there is a sort of an intent behind it, but uh, the, uh, the ends do not really justify the means. No. <laughs> Author William Peter Blatty once won $10,000 on the Groucho Marx show, You Bet Your Life. When Groucho asked what he planned to do with the money, he said he planned to take some time off work to work on a novel. This was the result. That's pretty cool. Yeah. An audience member who saw the movie in 1974 during its original theatrical release fainted and broke his jaw on the seat in front of him. He then sued Warner Brothers and the filmmakers, claiming that the use of subliminal imagery in the film had caused him to pass out. The studio settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. Uh, Uh. They should have gone to court on that one. Okay, so the vomit... Is pea soup, no? Yeah, the vomit is pea soup. Uh, Specifically, it's Anderson's brand pea soup. The crew tried Campbell's, but didn't like the effect. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. It was just very sort of matter of fact. And another one of the All cornflakes are made in the USA. Another one of those tomorrow. Um, Joss Stone is a vegetarian. Yes. This is the film debut of Jason Miller. Uh, he received an Oscar nomination for his role as Father Karras in this film. And uh, as I said before, he's the father of Jason Patrick of Lost Boys fame. Um, this is his first movie. He's really, really fucking good in it. Yeah, he's incredibly uh, yeah. effective, I think. Yeah. Lalo Schifrin's score was rejected. Friedkin actually hated Lalo Schifrin's score so much that he yelled for the orchestra to stop playing in the middle of a recording session. He grabbed the reels and uh, he promptly threw the reels into the streets in front of Lalo Schifrin and his wife. Um, wow. Yeah, he, he rejected the score in a very theatrical way. And Couldn't instead, he have just said, I'm sorry, it's not working. Yeah. I'll take my film with me. Yeah, he was No very, hard feelings. He was very uh, passionate about it. Okay, um, but again, yeah. there's no excuse for that right. sort of behavior. As I said, it was the right decision 
that there was very limited use of music and that the uh, and that tubular bells is what he eventually chose to uh, to put in certain scenes because it's very kind of it's not creepy exactly but it gives a sort of like uh, it's a feeling other, of dread feeling of dread and otherworldly quality which is probably why uh, John Carpenter nicked it uh, yeah. wholesale for Halloween a few years later um, but yeah it's uh, it's as I said I'm conflicted because he went about it in a very very bastardly kind of mm. way anyway enough of the jibber jabber that's trivia corner trivia, trivia corner <laughs> oh that was a shambles <laughs> anyway that's all i've got what so have you seen petered out like a flan in a cupboard <laughs> why is it always a flan in a cupboard or a fart in a cupboard a I, I choose one of those two flan in a cupboard is an eddie izzard uh ism yeah, um, if you know, if anybody is a fan of Eddie Izzard listening, uh, you might have noticed that I keep saying, so yes. So yes. That's yeah. also an Eddie Izzardism. Eddie Izzardism. Yeah. Eddie Izzum. Um, <laughs> I have a... Th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This film was uh, important for me to watch. Did um, it live up to your expectations? Did it, you have it, any expectations? Here's the thing, is that I, I don't think I did... Not in the same way that you're really looking forward to something and then you have those hopes sort right. of smashed. It's, again, I've seen a lot of um, imitations of it. You know, look, I mean, even from something as simple as Supernatural, where they do exorcisms, you can see where they drew inspiration from this, right? Right. And and Constantine. And everything, those. and everything. Yeah. It's one of those things where you, you can really see why it gets the reverence that it gets. You right. Know? So, so, yeah, it was really important for me to watch. I enjoyed it. I'd like it if next week we did an episode on a movie that was a little lighter. You're talking about something like uh, sort of in a hocus pocusy kind of vein, like yeah, uh, Adam's, the Adam's family. family or, or, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we will. Uh, we just will talk a, just about a little it. bit lighter, because you know, there's only so much I can take. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Incessant prattle. Also, a big congratulations to Shakus. Uh, who's just, uh, his wife just had a baby. Congratulations! Congratulations. Oh boy. Thank you again for listening, and for listening, uh, yeah. hopefully you enjoyed that. And uh, if you haven't seen The Exorcist, go check it out, because it is a, um essential piece of cinema. And now I can say that I've seen it too. Wouldn't you want to be like me? Don't, don't be like him. Bye. Bye. What's our seat number? That seems to be the main marketing yeah, boy at the moment. Yeah. Oh, it's got sex in it. Yes. I really like Anna Darmus. I um, really like sex. But I think... Uh, I really like Anadamas, but I think... I really like sex. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I really like Anadamas. I but... really like sex. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Cock. All right, so I'm not even going to bother to cut around that. Um, just a random a random thing of Sai saying, I really like sex for no reason whatsoever. Um, so... There's a reason I really like sex. Okay, okay. so, you know, <laughs> that... The listeners, I tried. I tried to cut that out, but it didn't happen. Um, anyway, so I really like Anna Damas, but uh, she keeps to no. We are not going to do that. I didn't do that again. If I were to do that again, that would be childish. That would be childish. But anyway, yeah, a little bit of uh, Buzzcocks, random, obscure this reference This is there. horrendously <laughs> unprofessional yeah. of both of us.